song of victory. Thanks for leading us in that and for leading us this morning, team. Well, here we are wrapping up the Faith and Family series. I get to, to bat last or clean up, I guess, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> no. Uh, but I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you guys this morning. And uh, what I want to do is open with prayer and ask for the Lord's help today. Father in heaven, we want to give you praise that our victory is accomplished in Christ and that when we look at the cross, we don't see anybody there because Christ is risen. And thank you that he came and he paid this awesome price. And Lord, thank you that Jesus taught us that, he, that when he goes away, when he went away back into heaven, he was going to send his Holy Spirit and that we have received that amazing gift of your Holy Spirit in our own lives and our own hearts. And I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would help me as I teach from your word today, that I would speak what is right and true. And if there's anything I say that is amiss, that you would strike that from people's memory. Lord, would your spirit be present here powerfully among us as a church today, that we would take your word into our hearts and that you would transform us. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. A crowd of thousands had gathered in the city to listen to this fisherman. And this is the same fisherman who 50 days earlier had seen his, his friend get executed. And it was because of this same crowd. They had influenced the authorities to execute his friend. It was this same fisherman who 50 days earlier had betrayed his friend, had denied that he even knew his friend. He turned away from his friend in his friend's time of need. It was the same fisherman who is now speaking to the, to the crowds who had influenced the execution of his friend. And he's not just speaking to them, but he's speaking boldly. He's aligning himself with his friend whom he had forsaken 50 days earlier. And what's happening now is he is saying some very hard things to the crowd. And it's a wonder that the crowd was not enraged. It's a wonder that he was not immediately lynched and executed on a cross like his friend had been. Because this is what the fisherman was saying in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. That's what he's saying to the crowd. It's a wonder that the crowd did not tear into him at that point, but they didn't. Stunningly, something else happened. In verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So how on earth do we explain that? That a crowd of thousands who you would expect would be enraged at Peter bringing this up, that they had crucified their own Messiah, but instead they were cut to the heart. How do you explain Peter, who had been running for his life 50 days earlier, and now he's all bold? and proclaiming truth, and proclaiming Christ to 
to people. How do you explain that? Well, we know how to explain it, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Check this out in John chapter... chapter uh, um, 16, verse 8. Thank you. It's probably right behind me, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. It says this. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, that scene we just read about in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit had come and indwelt the followers of Christ. And then that Holy Spirit convicted he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He convicted of sin. And 3,000 people were cut to the heart and placed their faith in Christ. That is stunning. Things like that just don't happen. That's the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want us to think a little bit this morning about the Holy Spirit as we get ready to jump into our text in a couple minutes. And, and we want to think about who the Holy Spirit is. Um, maybe we have some Star Wars fans in the room. I don't know. And, and recently, of course, the, the movie Rogue One came out, and, and there's a phrase that resonates throughout Star Wars, may the, may the force be with you. I don't even know if they said that in that movie, but maybe they did, but we've heard that many times. Well, the Holy Spirit is not just this impersonal force. He's different than that. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is God. If we go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and we could see in a number of places of Scripture where we see the Holy Spirit is God. But in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And notice that, that they're baptized in the name of, singular. Okay, Who is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Son is. The Holy Spirit is the living God, the third person of the Trinity. And not only is he God, but because he's God, he's a person. We know from Ephesians 4 verse 30 that our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve an impersonal force or power, right? But people can be grieved. The Holy Spirit's aim, according to John chapter 16 also, is to bring glory to Jesus. So that's what he's up to. He wants to glorify Christ. That is what he does. And there's a couple other things about the Holy Spirit that I want to mention. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And we see this here. Paul writes, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, so what happens when we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we believe? We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And not only are we sealed in the Holy Spirit, but if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We see this. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us, which we just read about, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
So the mighty Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who did these amazing things on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit who lives inside us as Christians. And if that Holy Spirit lives inside us, that same powerful Holy Spirit, then we would expect to see dramatic transformation occurring in our lives. You would think that our marriages would be transformed in very powerful ways because of the Holy Spirit living in us. And if you're not married this morning, realize too that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you and transforms you in every relationship that you have. And and in the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at life, the way that we look at problems, the Holy Spirit is powerful and amazing. We want to look this morning at what difference does the Holy Spirit truly make in a marriage or in our relationships? Our text today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so you see how Paul starts off right there in verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Um, I, I you know, couldn't define debauchery off the top of my head. Maybe you guys can, but I looked it up just in case. And it says, this is what debauchery is. It's extreme indulgence of one's appetites, especially for sensual pleasures, a leading astray morally. And Paul, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, this isn't who you guys are anymore. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, we get a definition of what debauchery is. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And that's what debauchery is. It's just like our cravings, our lusts, our hungers, whatever they are, unless, apart from God's restraining hand, if we are not in Christ, we're just going to run after those things. Paul says, that's not who you are anymore. So when he comes back to our text in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, that's that filling of the senses, that pursuit of just our cravings. And he says, instead... Be filled with the Spirit. So this is, this is kind of a crass example, but open the fridge. Don't grab the wine. Grab the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit be the one who controls us. And, and the word uh, plurista, that is translated as be filled here, uh, the, the note of the verb, or the, the verb carries the weight of continuous action, the meaning of it. It's it's not a one-and-done thing. It's, it's different in a sense than what we read about in Ephesians 1 when it talks about how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When he comes and indwells us, when we place our faith in Christ, that's when he comes to indwell us. But to be filled with the Spirit implies something that we can be more and more and more and more filled with him. It's not something that is one-and-done, but it's something that we can grow into more and more to be filled with the Spirit. So... 
if that is truly the case, if, if we as Christians can have an increased filling of God's Holy Spirit, then what would that result in? Well, that's what Paul talks about in the rest of his passage, verses 19 through 21. And there's, there's four, four places he goes. And the first one in verse 19 is, is this. If we're being filled with the Spirit, more and more we're going to be characterized by addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, so that doesn't mean that, that when I come in and I see Josh Lesage and I, I start singing a psalm to him, then he sings one back to me. You know, it's not, it's not this big musical, necessarily. But, but it is this. When you think about the psalms, what are the psalms? The psalms cover the gamut of human life, of human emotion. Okay, you think about Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, the highest of highs, the greatest of joys. And Psalm 88, you overwhelm me with all your waves. Where are you, Lord? Day and night, my cry comes out to you. When will you answer me? So the Psalms run the gamut of human life and human emotion. And Jesus lived out the Psalms. Jesus was steeped in the Psalms from being a boy. Growing up, that's what they used in worship. Their songs, poems, prayers. And Jesus would have learned the Psalms. And Jesus lived out the Psalms. He didn't go around singing them necessarily. Maybe there were times he did. But, but for instance, when Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. What is he doing? He's living out Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, Jesus is that good shepherd, and he's living out the Psalms. And when he was on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was also spoken about Jesus when when he overturned the tables in the temple. Zeal for my father's house will consume me. Jesus lived out the Psalms. And if, we, if you and I are being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be living out the Psalms. We're going to live in very real ways with each other, and we're going we're to be able to speak into one another's lives in ways that are extremely encouraging. Like Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If if I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's going to be my mindset that, that when there's a struggle, I'm going to be looking to the Lord and I can encourage other people to do the same thing. So we can be people who live out the Psalms. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what happens to us. And, and I want to mention something here that has been very, very helpful for Sue and me uh, through the years is on Tuesday mornings at 545, we'll get up that's a little earlier. Uh, we get up a little earlier, and we spend some time just reading through a psalm and then praying through it. We read it, then we pray through it verse by verse. And, and it's just been a very rich way to get God's word, to get the psalms into us. And once a week, it takes maybe half an hour or 40 minutes for us to work through one. And the psalms are prayers, so you, you can just pray them right to the Lord. But, um, but they can also bring to mind things that are heavy on your heart or that you want to be praying for, and then you can pray for those at that time as well. But it's just a, a rich way that's been very beneficial for us to grow in Christ in that way. Now, the text also talks about um, addressing one another. It doesn't say singing, <laughs> but addressing one another along with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as well. And hymns are 
these songs that have been created by the church that are packed with biblical truth. Uh, Paul quotes one in verse 14 of chapter 5. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. These hymns are for the edification and building up of the church, and spiritual songs as well, songs that are inspired by Scripture, words of truth that we can live out with one another. So if the Holy Spirit is filling us, more and more we're going to be characterized by addressing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, through the truths that are embodied in those things. And when you think about what would the opposite of that be, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then what? What would that look like? Well, we'd probably be addressing one another from our own flesh, our own desires, our own foolishness, probably wreaking havoc upon havoc. And, and the question that we need to consider is, which approach characterizes me and my marriage? Which approach characterizes you and your marriage and your life? Okay, which one? Second thing Paul notes, that if we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, more and more we'll be characterized by, in verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, do you find yourself doing that? If we're being filled with the Spirit, we're going to be people who are singing and making melody to the Lord. Now, that doesn't just come out of nowhere, right? I mean, we just can't poof, sing and make melody to the Lord. Where does that come from? If we take a look back at Psalm 150, Pastor Jeff preached a sermon on this not that long ago. And I'm just going to look at zero run on verse 2, but we'll read the first three verses. It says here, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. And then it goes on, and more instruments are added in, and the psalm culminates with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so you see this crescendo. All the psalms kind of crescendo up to Psalm 150. And there's just this praise, this noisy, joyful praise to the Lord. But what do we praise Him for? Where, does, where is the fodder for what we praise Him? Where does that come from? Well, verse 2 tells us in Psalm 150, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So what are the mighty deeds of the Lord? Can you name some things that the Lord has been doing in your life recently that are mighty things? If we're being filled with the Spirit more and more, we're going to be thinking along these lines. But just thinking about creation, when I look at you guys, there's not one single one of you that looks exactly like another one. Um, even, even in the case of identical twins, usually can pick out a difference. God is creative. The mighty work of creation that he has done is astounding just looking around this room. And if we look at our state, we've got a beautiful state, all kinds of variety in the creation. If we go out beyond into the U.S. or across the world, there's a ton of variety, ton of creativity in God's creation. And not only is one of God's mighty acts creation, another one of his mighty acts is redemption. What does he do with people that have messed up his creation, who have sinned and, and brought death and struggle and suffering into the world? He has made a way, rather than to punish us for our sin, he's made a way to escape his wrath and to be saved. He has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. If our faith is in him, we have a way to be rescued. That's another mighty work of God. And he transforms us. 
And, and he's going to prepare, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And the Holy Spirit is inside us now, working on us. And one day, Christ is going to come back, and, and we're going to receive the fullness of what we're looking forward to, of what the Holy Spirit in our hearts is a down payment of, to be in the presence of God forever, living on the new earth. All these things are ahead of us. And these are the mighty works of God. So when it says, praise him for his mighty deeds, what comes to mind? Are we, if we're being filled with the Spirit, we're going to be praising him for the great things that he's doing and has done and is going to do. And he also says, praise him according to his excellent greatness. So not only for his work, but according to who he is, for his character. God is sovereign and he's gracious and he's kind at the No Regrets uh, conference yesterday in the first session, Chip Ingram talked about God's disposition toward us. And sometimes when you think about God our Father, depending on what you've been exposed to throughout your life or, or how you've grown up thinking, you may think of him as, as very stern, as maybe distant, maybe hostile. But the Bible portrays this picture of God toward his people. It's generous kindness, grace, he is generously kind. He's, he wants his children to be happy. And he works that out in his generous kindness for us to be happy. He'll bring things into our life and he'll deal with us in ways that move us to the place where we're going to find our greatest joy and happiness in him. And, and that's the character of God. And he's sovereign and he's gracious and he's just. He's fair. And if, if we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, these kinds of things are going to be coming to us. We're going to love these things about God. But if we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to be focused on his mighty deeds, nor on his excellent greatness, and we're going to be very self-focused and kind of shrivel up into ourselves, into our small world, maybe raging when things don't go our way, or maybe complaining, or whatever it might be. So the question is, are we people being filled with the Holy Spirit? Which, which characterizes your home, your marriage, your relationships. What characterizes mine? Third thing that Paul notes in Ephesians, and this might be a tough one. It's, it's tough to do, I would say. Easy to say. In verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is left out of that list? Giving thanks... <laughs> Always and for everything in the name of God, in the name of God the Father. Nothing is left out. Giving thanks in everything? What about struggles? What about difficulties when they overwhelm us? How can we have a thankful heart then? Well, it's because of God's disposition toward us. If there are struggles in our life, God is at work in the middle of those to bring us to a place that is beautiful. And and I heard a, an example recently. Think about a six-year-old who's, who is being uprooted from, their, from the, the place where he lives. His father has lost his job. They're moving across the country. And he's losing his friends. He's never going to see him again. He's inconsolable. And, and they make the move. And now think about that six-year-old when he's 30. Okay, his father, he's like, okay, I understand now why we moved. Um, my father wound up, he had to get a new job. He got a decent job. I made new friends. In fact, I met my wife. We're married now. And, and it's put me on this whole new path that, 
probably wouldn't happen if I'd stayed where I was. And, and so a six-year-old perspective on their suffering is different from a 30-year-old perspective on suffering. Now, what about this? Okay, God has a 30-year-old perspective on our suffering. Oftentimes when we suffer, we might have the six-year-old perspective, and we don't get it. But if we can trust that our Father is good and that he's taking us somewhere amazing, even in the middle of the struggle, then we can be people who are characterized by thankful hearts. And James talks about it this way. In James 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God's aim, even in the midst of struggling for his people, is to grow us up, to mature us, to help us to be steadfast. And, and because the more mature we are in Christ, the more we are like Christ, the more we're going to have a great relationship with God. Because who had the best relationship ever? Jesus with his heavenly Father. And the more we grow into that, the better off we're going to be, the more joyful we're going to be, the better our relationships are going to be, the better we're going to deal with the problems and struggles in our lives. So, so the trials that we go through, God's got a different perspective than we do, and we can trust him because he's good, James is telling us. In verse 12 of the same chapter, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God has things in store for us that we can't even fathom in terms of how great they are. Unless we think we only give thanks during struggles, we have to remember to give thanks to when things are good. Oftentimes we may think, hey, that's just life, and you know, I had it coming to me, I'm entitled to that, but, but really we know we're not, right? James tells us in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the good things that come from God, the struggles that we have too, all these things God is using in the lives of his people to build us up and strengthen us. And if we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, our mind is being renewed, we're going to be thinking differently about the joys and the struggles in our lives. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, if we're not people who are giving thanks always and everything, what's the opposite of that? Ungrateful, covetous, idolatrous, greedy, grumbling, irritable, dissatisfied, complaining heart would be the opposite. And, and what are our homes characterized by? Is there this like low-level irritability in our homes where it just takes a little bump and it comes spurting out? Or are our homes characterized by, by grace and thanksgiving? If we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can expect to have our homes transformed like that. And then the last thing that Paul mentions in this passage, if we're being filled with the Holy Spirit more and more, we're going to be characterized by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission, tough word. But think about it this way. All of us in this room are under someone's authority, every single one of us. And most of us have some authority over somebody else in some capacity as well. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ. Our relationships are to be characterized by a humble love. And when you think about what reverence for Christ looks like, 
as we are conformed to the likeness of Christ, how did Christ humbly love? What did he do to show us what this looks like? Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that the Holy Spirit desires to work out in us. This is the mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you picture the humble love that Jesus has for us. In his humility, he left his kingly throne. It would have been extremely humiliating for him to come and sit on the highest earthly throne that there was. But he didn't do that either. He came and he was born in a place where the animals are. And, and he demonstrated to us that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Okay, that sort of humble love. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to work out in us as well. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our relationships are going to be characterized by that, by that sort of humble love. And, and I've got a couple of questions here. Um, I want to ask a couple of questions to the wives, um, some to the husbands. These aren't accusations. They're just questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I've got to ask myself the same ones. But first of all, wives... Are you respectful and gracious to your husband, even if you don't think he deserves it? Or do you buck against him? Do you have a critical, demeaning spirit toward him? Okay. If so, that's sin. Husbands, are you tender and loving towards your wife, even if you don't think she deserves it? Lovingly and willingly laying down your desires and even your life for her sake. Or are you harsh or distant or preoccupied with your own agenda? If you are, if I am, that's sin. But if we are being filled with the amazingly powerful Holy Spirit of the living God, our relationships are going to be more and more characterized by a humble love for one another. And all these things we've been looking at this morning so far, the addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are all great things, and I want these in my life, and I presume that you do as well. So the question is, well, how? How does it happen? <laughs> how do we be filled? It's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, well how do we have the Holy Spirit fill us? We know when we come to Christ, he indwells us. But what about this filling up that he gives us? And I want to suggest three things. Um, I'm not making these up either. These are biblical. <laughs> That's what we would want, right? Uh, and the first one is this. It's, it's repent. Repent. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 30 talks to us about this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If, if I'm pursuing a known sin, what am I doing? 
I'm grieving the Spirit of God, right? And to repent, you know, and we've probably demonstrated this before, but to repent is like this, okay? I'm walking towards sin, and, and I repent. That means I turn around, and now I'm walking toward Christ. If I stop, <laughs> then I move towards sin again. You know, there's, there's no middle ground, no neutral ground. We're either moving towards sin or toward Christ. So to repent is to realize by the Holy Spirit's conviction that these are things I'm doing that I can't do, and I can't expect him to, to have his pleasure and power in my life on a consistent basis if I'm pursuing a known sin because that grieves him. So the call is to repent frequently and to seek his forgiveness, which he gladly pours out to us. So repentance is huge, number one. Number two, drink, 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 drink. Drink of the Holy Spirit. Drink until you are intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, until everything that comes out of you is influenced by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and just thinking about this, I want to turn us to John chapter 7 for a minute. Verses 37 through 39. And here John says this. He writes this about Jesus. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus says, come and drink, he's talking about, when you come to me to, to get a drink, I'm going to give you the Spirit, living water. And then because of the Spirit's work in you, living water is going to flow out of you as well. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we see this reiterated. It says here, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So to drink of the spirit then, okay, we know where to do that. What, is that, what does that look like? Well, Again, if we're drinking of the Spirit, our minds are controlled more and more by the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8, verse 5 gives us some help with this. Romans 8, 5, I know we're bouncing around here a few places, but it says this. Paul writes, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if we're being controlled more and more by the Holy Spirit, our minds are going to be set on the things of the Spirit. And that brings us one more step. What are the things of the Spirit that we are to set our minds on? And Jesus helps us with that again. I'm bouncing back to John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Okay, if the Spirit gives life, Jesus speaks words of life. The Spirit takes Jesus' words and drives them into us. So when we think about what does it mean to drink of the Holy Spirit, think about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, taking in his word. And these aren't just the, the red letter parts of the gospel where Jesus says things. The whole Bible is Jesus' words. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and help his apostles, his disciples, remember the things that he has taught them 
And the apostles would write them down so that we could have them too. Those are the words of Christ. That's our New Testament. And in Luke 24, Jesus said, Jesus explained to his disciples the things in the Psalms and the law and the prophets that were written about him. That's the Old Testament. So, so the whole scripture is about Jesus. So when we think about what does it mean to drink of the Holy Spirit, it means to take in God's word, take it in again and again and again, be filled up with God's word, and the Holy Spirit works with that to transform us. And, and I just want to encourage you, even as husbands and wives or as friends to one another, when, when you're taking in God's word and he's teaching you things, share that with one another. It doesn't have to be a major thing. It's just stuff that, that can be a great encouragement to one another. I want to share something with you that I read a couple days ago. In my Bible reading program, I'm... I'm going through Proverbs, and I read, I read out something out of Proverbs 5, and I would, just before I, I, I spent my time reading that morning, I prayed about something that's been on my heart for a number of years, and I've told some of you guys this before, but I grew up in a Christian home, and early on I heard the gospel of grace and forgiveness, and, and I've known Christ for many, many years. But something that I've come to realize in my adult life is that I have a hard time really hating my own sin. You know, I, I can give myself a pass pretty easily, and I want to be grieved over my sin. I want to come to hate my sin more and more. So that had been on my mind, and I prayed that just before I started reading Proverbs 5. And then this is what the Lord showed me in Proverbs 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. And ju that just struck me when I, when I think about hating my own sin, that, that God sees it, and he ponders all my paths. He thinks about those things. And that my sin isn't just about me, but it's about grieving him as well. And that, that's just one small step in helping me learn to grieve over my own sin. And I'm probably going to have to hear it again and again and again and again. But, but those are the kinds of things, you know, when you read God's word, expect him to teach you something and then be willing to share it with each other. When we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're drinking of the Spirit, we want his word to spill out of us into the lives of each other. And can you imagine what that will do in your relationships when we become people who are characterized by that? And then in closing, um, the third thing, okay, repent, drink, drink, drink of the Spirit, and pray is the third thing, pray. Because if we go to Luke chapter 11, we have a sweet, sweet promise. Luke 11, 11 to 13, Jesus is speaking here, and he's just got done teaching his disciples how to pray and he says this what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him that's an amazing promise right there i'm i'm a dad i've got three sons and i like to give them good things to eat i don't begrudge them that and I'm a sinful man. I'm, you know, Jesus said, you then being evil. I know. I've fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. I know that includes me. But if I know how to give good gifts to my sons, how much more does my heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? What a tremendous gift. He gives himself to us, to those who ask him. Okay? So the implication is that we ask so we repent. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, repent of our sin. 
as often as we have to, daily, five times a day, ten times a day, whatever it is, be living a lifestyle of repentance and faith. Second, drink in God's word. Take it in. Be filled with it so that it spills out of us into the lives of others as well. And third, pray. Cry out every day and expect, and then expect that the Holy Spirit is going to do some amazing things in you and through you. Expect that as a church. That's who God is. That's what he does. He wants to bless us with his powerful Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the transformation if that same Holy Spirit who on the day of Pentecost cut to the heart 3,000 people, what he can do in one marriage, in one life? God is an amazing God, and I want to encourage us as a church to pursue the Holy Spirit together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that that you have, have given us the Holy Spirit, that even when Jesus went away, he said he was going to send another helper, and it was going to be to our advantage that he would go away because the Holy Spirit would actually come and live inside us. And we're just amazed that you would give us this great gift. And Father, help us not to neglect your Spirit. Help us, help us not to live as though your Holy Spirit doesn't matter. But would you fill us with your Spirit, Lord, as we turn from sin. Help us to do that too. And as we drink of your word, Lord, help us to do that as well. And then fill us with your spirit and transform us so that we're a church who's a bright light in our community who makes much of you for our great joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.